HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers. And in today's episode, we're going once again into the ocean to speak with the chef of the Tres Hombres boat, or she calls herself Cookie, because on a boat you have a very small kitchen, so you have to yeah. order everything. <laughs> this is Rihanna uh, De Beer. Hello, welcome to the show. Hi, hi, Severin. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you, and where are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. Um, I'm uh, still recovering a bit from my uh, long, long journey. I was uh, altogether two years at sea and for one year at Tresomeres, and I'm in uh, Rotterdam right now. I'm looking at a nice sunset after a moody day over the big industrial harbor of Rotterdam, where which is the main port of Europe for... Uh, um, in and exports of uh, all kinds of goods. My mother always has this joke about her favorite kind of tea, and when she tried to explain in the in the tea shop what did this tea smell like, she said it smelled like the docks of Rotterdam because it was a little bit stinky and smoky. Uh, can you yeah. talk about the cargoes <laughs> that are going in and out of that uh, port and a little background about the vision of the Tres Hombres? Um, well, uh, Tres Hombres was founded by the three men. That's why it's called Tres Hombres. Uh, Jorna, Andreas, and Arjen. And uh, they had a vision about uh, sailing cargo emission-free. And also, because they were true sailors, they sailed around Cape Horn, and they knew each other from the uh, sailing, uh, traditional sailing school in Kuyzer that uh, they wanted to sail uh, without an engine and uh, then uh, also more ideas and, and, and ideology uh, grew from there to uh, start fair transport and um, to promote emission-free sailing of, uh, of um, all kinds of goods. But now 
we have Tresomres, which is a 100 feet schooner brig. Um, and um, we can fill 35 tons, which is half of a big container. Um, and we have an unbelievable amount of supporters, publicity. Everybody knows the rum. Everybody knows the chocolate. Um, but it's, yeah, it's uh, not that much cargo, but it's a big, big message getting through there. And now they're also um, working on an alliance with uh, other um, uh, sailing fights like um, the Greyhound and the Aventure. I was super happy to meet you and the crew of the Tres Ombres in Salmas when there was a rendezvous with the Greyhound Lugger and kind of a meeting of the Sail Alliance and the docking of the Tres Ombres coming in full of rum and chocolate loading up onto the dock in Salmas, which is a pretty epic seaside yes. city. <laughs> and super struck by how similar this nautical culture is to this young farmer culture Similar counterculture, similar politics, really um, strong, brave, wild souls. Uh, <laughs> and listening to you talking about the the experience and the politics of provisioning for that boat as she sailed this traditional route down to the Caribbean to fetch these products, which, of course, were the products previously of slavery. Could you talk a little bit about trading in those towns, trading in those towns, uh, provisioning in those towns, and um, your experience on the ship. Yes, well, it was uh, quite an experience. I had a, as you said, I had a very small galley. It was just one stove um, and an oven, and it was on deck, so a little in a little house on deck. It really felt like camping at sea. Um, and then attached to that, uh, well, in the galley was the uh, the front mast um, uh, going through, and I had a little roof window where I could see all the yards and the sills, and if I could see what they were doing, and I could uh, manage myself around there. And then um, I was, yeah, strapped to the stove with a rope, and I sometimes I was clicked in with a harness even, and I had to uh, really... Uh, uh, set the pants uh, and the pots in the pants. I had to uh, um, uh, screw them between uh, iron beams. And um, uh, behind that was a little galley where we ate in shifts. And I was cooking for 15 people, uh, three meals a day. And if it was a bit cold, uh, which was quite soon because we were completely, everybody was completely exposed to the elements. Um, yeah, you just needed so many calories. So I had to cook three warm meals a day. And, um, yeah, that was really a day job on its own. I had no fridge, no freezer, and uh, there was a dry store. But because the ship is tumbling a lot, uh, also the vegetables, uh, there were some kind of vegetables that could not handle the ship, and also some kind of fruits. Um, and we had all different kinds of ways of putting and storing uh, fruits and vegetables. We got a lot of uh, legumes and, and dried beans from um, Hotmadot, which is a very nice um, organic bean farm in uh, the south of England. And they also grow uh, quinoa and um, 
Uh, we had a lot of uh, yeah, peas and split peas and fava beans, and uh, we enjoyed the whole uh, uh, through the whole trip. And then we had uh, had to get fresh greens and vegetables from everywhere where we were. Um, but um, yeah, not everything is available. One thing that is most available, and that I think many sailors know, is cabbage, and it stays long. It stays well for the longest time, unless it had seen the fridge. As soon as a vegetable has seen the fridge, you take it out. It will decline within uh, a rapid time, within two or three days. It really do doesn't really matter what it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, if, if uh, the vegetables or fruit has been uh, imported, then, uh, yeah, you could already see it and you would really get a feeling for it because you would kind of see it like the way it was spotting or wrinkling that it was in a, in a cooling uh, cellar uh, before it came to the market. And um, uh, some uh, of the islands, they had a lot of their own produce and they were less tourist-involved. And they just made food for the people who were there. So they themselves made sure that there was a variety or they let the uh, nature determine that there was a variety. For instance, uh, breadfruit, which is um, uh, throughout the Caribbean, um, uh, yeah, a very good uh, growing um, uh, product. And um, uh, all kinds of, yeah, uh, indigenous and, ex for me, exotic uh, favors to learn how to work with. But for example, if I would try to get potatoes on a Caribbean mm -hmm. island, it would have no use because they were tasteless, they were imported, they were stored in a fridge before, um, so they would start to rot after two days. So I had to learn to work with breadfruit. And um, uh, yeah, and at the, um, the islands where you saw where they would have a monoculture, uh, for instance, like in La Palma, where they grew a lot of bananas, a lot of fruit, uh, which put a big pressure on the island. And um, uh, La Palma is um, uh, part of Spain, so uh, they kind of pretend that everybody was there was still in Spain, so you only had Spanish products, even though the island may, may be from origin had a lot more to offer. But they completely transformed it into a new part of Spain with a lot of bananas on it for which they needed a big, stinky water maker. Um, yeah, the water quality there, the drinking water quality was not so good. And, um, uh, and there were only bananas there. And uh, all the rest of the products, of, of which I know for sure, of the fruits and vegetables that will grow perfectly on La Palma, but they imported for some, yeah, for some odd reason. Uh, they were quite bad quality and quite bad taste, and I don't have any... Uh, equipment with me, but I had the feeling uh, uh, in my body and the way the people responded to the food, they were also not so nutritious. And um, it's really a shame uh, that some of these, these islands are, um, uh, yeah, completely drawn to some kind of monoculture, and you can see quite um, uh, clearly what it does to the rest of the um, uh, grows and crops on the rest of the uh, of the islands, and I think it's a world on its own, and to like a like a microcosmos that shows how this can evolve evolve on the continent. Um, that it, you import, you only grow in one area, one kind of crop, and then you import the other crops from another 
place and then uh, you see that everything comes out of balance and the whole island gets a very uh, plastic um, um, uh, manufactured feeling and um, uh, yeah, and also this this uh, terms that I uh, that I talked about you with um, uh, about at Falmouth that you have. Uh, well, I, I was working at restaurants before before I became a ship's cook, and I had a very uh, yeah a bit of a like a wild chef running around, and I was like oh, but the customer, and then he would say like oh, we don't have customers here. A prostitute has customers. We only have guests. And uh, with uh, which he meant that you, when you have a guest, you also um, uh, welcome them as a host, as a human connection. And um, it's not a product you buy, it's an experience that you uh, encounter. And the money is secondary. So um, you have, for example, you have um, uh, small farmers and a few local fishermen, and you come there and you look at their skills, you are respectful towards their skills, they show you what to get instead of you tell them what to get them for you, and then you will know for sure that you will have the best thing made in the best possible way, and you also have a really nice connection uh, with each other, um, yeah, a very nice human experience, and um, uh, I think this is something... Um, that is very important uh, for us humans, for us b being on this planet to create and to uh, feel good about what we do and what we consume. And um, uh, yeah, that really became clear uh, going from one remote place to another. And also uh, uh, sometimes the crew uh, on the ship uh, yeah, they were guests, but sometimes they were really tired and they just wanted to have French cheese. So they got French cheese from Martinique uh, for a cheap price and uh, they would sneak it up their cabins because everybody would always have like a little... Uh, uh, yeah, there were debates on the ship constantly about consuming and about uh, uh, sustainability. And uh, um, yeah, there were a lot of um, products banned from the ship as well, like palm oil we tried to get rid of all the palm oil, but we want to have cookies. So where do you find cookies without palm oil? How do you do it with a budget that's so small? Uh, what do you do with a crew that's cookie addicted? Um, uh, all these kinds of things, that's, that's, yeah, it's not so easy. People think, or they, well, of course, it's good that they have the intention that they always want to change, but it goes quite far into um, uh, your habits and your cravings, which are the most hard to um, to change within, and um, yeah, it's uh, it was a really nice experience to see it uh, happening, and um, uh, also with me when I came in Bonaire, there were a lot of Dutch products there, and uh, I was like, oh, Hagelslag, which is these like tiny chocolate sprinklings, which of which the chocolate was transported to the Netherlands, made little sprinkles out of it, and then brought back to Bonaire in, a, of course, a cooling uh, uh, cellar or a cooling uh, at, uh, container uh, so the chocolate wouldn't melt. And still I couldn't, like, hold myself back from not buying a little hagelslag after being at sea for six months. And, um, yeah, it's just so insane. Um, uh, but I don't think anybody... Um, 
um, yeah, it's, it's not about uh, judging or anything. Uh, it's just about being aware of this, that it extends to a level that goes uh, so far. Um, uh, also, yeah, looking over the harbor here in, in Rotterdam, what they're all importing here and the ships they use for that and the pollution they cause and also uh, the manufacturing of the products that are being transported. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's eye-opening to to realize this, and uh, yeah. So I had a very yeah very interesting time, and I tried to have uh, little conversations with uh, uh, my friends and family about it, and I also organized uh, uh, like evenings, debate evenings about this uh, issue. And Rotterdam is a very nice place because you can really, uh, they have lots of initiatives here uh, of local farming and it's getting more and more and more. And you try to get things from your own city and uh, in between the big buildings they have little um, uh, gardens. So I think people are getting more and more aware and they're also more open for this message um, that I'm trying to uh, yeah, bring, to, um, uh, bring back to the Western world. And uh, yeah, so. Um, uh, well, yeah. I remember in the kitchen. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, I this you're doing a beautiful job of weaving this tapestry of personal, interpersonal, institutional, and practical insight from this voyage. I it struck me so much in the kitchen, or in the galley on the boat, eating the honey from the Azores and the yeah. beautiful pancakes that you made. And the experience of the boat people in the town and everyone having spent so much time in such intimate quarters together uh, and taking, as you say, a pretty radical approach to their lives at sea with no, uh, you know, um, no cooling and no motor and making, as you say, pretty radical changes, the... Um, the energetic experience of that sail team as you went through the town and coming into a bar, or, but more like standing outside of the bar and not needing to interact as much with, um, with the conventions of buy and sell or the conventions of uh, engagement with the activities that become so normative to our culture. And it strikes me how... In the same way when you're collecting that honey from the Azores or participating in these um, formerly colonial economies in the Caribbean uh, and participating in this trade, traditional trade route which brought slavery, how our bodies, our winds, our institutions have such a charged and loaded memory uh, and, and how embedded those memories are in our bodies. Uh, how, like, watching for and having a self-reflection space to see the change kind of personally, then on a boat or a community scale, and then watching how that change, uh, change interaction makes such a powerful impression kind of on a larger group, and in your case through, I guess, the communication about the boat. For me, that was very powerful, very, a very powerful experience. I think probably everywhere you go, 
you make a big impression. Is that true? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, with the boat, uh, we do. Um, uh, but uh, um, it's, I think it's also because kind of... Um, it's kind of a boy, every boy's dream or wild girls, like tomboys, uh, girls dream to be a pirate in a way, but in a nice way, you know. And um, that's basically what you are allowed to do. You're allowed to climb all day. You, you work with your body. You, you go through storms. We went through heavy storms for almost two months. Um, you have, you're in paradise, you go to these remote uh, destinations and you anchor in the most beautiful bay in the world with a ma like a magical feeling of the, the sweet um, mystery of the, of the Caribbean. Um, and uh, you're constantly surrounded by wood and ropes and wind and sea and um, uh, lots of dolphins, whales swimming along. You can climb up the rigging to see the whales and uh, um, uh, all the jellyfishes and the change in in the in the uh, yeah the, the the flora and the fauna. You you come to know so gradually because you. Yeah, you you at most times we are around seven knots, so that's one point eight kilometers. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, an hour, and then times seven, and then uh, yeah, sometimes you go twelve knots if you're really in a rough weather or good winds, and uh, you have to pull ropes and you have to be really careful. And you're you know between a sailor and eternity is only a little wooden plank. So you have to be very careful at what you do, and uh, yeah, and also your world becomes so small in a good way because even though you're going into the world, everything becomes so simple. So, for instance, um, uh, yeah, I had to, I asked the mate like, hey. Uh, so how's the weather looking for the next few hours? It's like, ah, it's probably going to stay like this, but, you know, hey, I'm not God, but uh, don't pin me down on it, but I think it's going to stay like this. So it's like, okay, I'm going to make lasagna. And then it just com went completely wrong, and the lasagna went dancing in the oven, and then I felt like I did something horrible for two days. Like, that's all I had. That, that was like, and other people were like, yeah, yeah, we just scraped it off the floor and we ate it anyway. We really don't care. And you did a good job and we understand. But uh, I was like, no, I can't believe this. This, uh, this is like the worst thing ever happening to me in my life. And, and it's so funny how you see, um, uh, like, your world becomes so simple in a way. And uh, you get really focused on what you're doing. And um, uh, everybody, yeah, gives them their all, and we all keep an eye on each other as well. Um, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, you use, um, yeah, you use your whole body to, to move this ship towards the other side of the world. And that is such a powerful thing. And um, uh, you really get to know each other. Uh, you really have to work with each other. You have to rely on each other. And um, uh, yeah, it's uh, and it's such a, a good, great opportunity to learn more about the uh, social interactions, about uh, your 
personal uh, uh, glitches and, and qualities and um, uh, I, yeah, it's and it's very funny because I had uh, yesterday I had with one of the my uh, former crew members uh, uh, she visited me in Rotterdam and um, uh, she said like yeah what what else is there to prove. And it's funny that you say that, like, no, we don't, yeah. And we were sitting on the bike in the rain, and we were joking, like, yeah, we went through the storm together in, uh, in uh, Brixham. Uh, we know rain. We know what wet is. And it, I, I, it's a bit jokingly, of course, but you really come out of that, um, even though you're completely worn down after a year, uh, you really come out of this uh, whole experience as a stronger person. And it comes back in ways that you don't really notice, um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm such fortunate person that I was able to cook for these guys and to be part of the Tresnomeres and uh, um, uh, yeah, and it's really a big family. They don't have um, like a very set structure, even though heaven knows they you know they 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 try to get it in, but it's such an organic flowing. Uh, movement. It's uh, that it's just, uh, yeah, you really run into these moments of synchronicity that you meet one person who has something with the other person and it all comes together at the right moment. And these kind of magic moments that you usually assure you have like once a month or maybe every two months, and then you have them every time you get into port, you meet into the most, you meet the most fantastic people and uh, all kinds of pioneers and other ways, and yeah, it's um, uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's um, uh, short of any other terms for it, but yeah, it's really something special. So maybe that's the energy that we brought to Falmouth, and um, uh, officially we were in, in European uh, on European land when we were in the Azores, but. For me, it felt being really being back at Europe when I was in Falmouth, and uh, so that was also, yeah, quite an experience uh, to be there, and to have the feeling that wow, I did this, I yeah, I did this crazy trip with all the storms and the and the no wind for you know you're just drifting towards uh, you want to go to the Azores and you're kind of drifting towards New York for a week and a half. And you see the provisioning going lower and lower and lower. And first you're really like, okay, well, the vegetables, okay, they're gone. So now what? Okay, maybe um, uh, uh, dry beans and rice. So the last week we had dry beans and rice. And then in the last four days I got so panicked because I thought, but what about the coffee and the toilet paper? And then you're like, but do we really need that? And then, yeah, maybe not, maybe we do. Um, uh, but, yeah, these are things, uh, they sound so trivial. And in a way, of course, they are, but they also are not trivial because we do, as a society, go through great extent to get coffee every day and to get uh, toilet paper and to get all these things that we find um, simple luxuries. We take them for granted, uh, water boiler. Uh, for example, um, uh, proper working oven. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, um, uh, and it just makes you very uh, humble um, towards, uh, yeah, uh, towards everything, I guess. Um, yeah. So, of course, I'm, again, swept away completely in, in the romance 
of the windswept future. And I wonder if you could just tell a little bit the practical details. Um, how do people get involved to become sailors with with Tres Hombres or with other ships? Uh, how, do, how do you get on? How do you get in? What are you carrying from where to where? How long does it take to get across the ocean? Um, and what do you recommend for people who are just thinking about learning uh, learning these skills? What occurs to me... Well, I'll have you answer that, and then I have another thing to say, but then we have to <laughs> running out of time. Okay, quick. Okay, well, um, I was just uh, like a, a very enthusiastic home cook, and then I ran into the captain on the night of my graduation of my bachelor degree, and then he said, I really need a cook, and I was like, yeah, sure. And that's how I got in. But most people uh, come to Den Helder for the refit as a carpenter, uh, Den Helder is uh, uh, the port where Tresombre stays uh, for having a, like a, a main refit. And a lot of carpenters come there, skilled men, uh, people who are unexperienced but very enthusiastic that want to learn. There's so much to be done in that short six weeks. Then you get to know the people who are working at the office that are doing amazing, amazing work uh, for Tresombre, which are like... Yeah, they, in a way, are like the, the, the organ, organizational engine behind this whole movement. And then all the people on the, on the uh, practical side that do um, the carpentry and uh, uh, the rigging. Uh, but for rigging, you need people that really know what they are doing, that can instruct other people. Um, and through that, you learn. And uh, if you are very, uh, like, you're good with the group and you have uh, time and you're there at the right time, at the right moment, uh, you know, um, uh, preparation meets opportunity, then um, uh, you can be invited as a volunteer. Uh, if you don't have that much time or you're not living in, in a, uh, like, a free world like that, and uh, you can also join as a trainee on the Tresombres, um, you go to fairtransport.eu, and there um, uh, they are. Uh, you can they have place for eight trainees, and um, yeah, there is a bit of a waiting list, but you can yeah you can email and call to see where there is a spot and which um, routes you want to do, and uh, in that way you really learn to be a sailor hands-on. So it's not for the weak or the faint-hearted. You have to be physically fit to do it. Um, uh, you're going to test your boundaries, but it's a hell of a ride. And um, that's also a way to do it. And in that way, you really support uh, the Tresombres project for uh, the maintenance on the ship and um, uh, uh, also to continue and to expand the fleet. The fleet. And um, uh, then uh, there's another way. There are also two other sailing boats, um, of which I don't really know, but they're on the website as well, so you can check it out if you can be, if you can join the crew or, or go as a trainee. And there is another possibility, if you have a ship, and uh, a nice sailing ship, and it's seaworthy, and you have a lot of experience with sailing the oceans, um, then uh, please uh, contact Fair Transport. If you have a cargo hold, uh, to join as a skipper, as a ship, uh, to join the fleet. And that's also another way to do it. Um, 
uh, and the, uh, there are, as I said, alliances are being formed uh, still uh, as we speak, and this fleet has to expand and evolve. And um, uh, there's also, um, uh, yeah, one of the captains told me, uh, like, on a nice afternoon, like, hey, um, about, we were talking about different kind of products. Uh, he said, well, the traditional products work best. So what they were saying traditionally is probably what's going to work best. It's going to work best for the country and because they did it uh, a few hundred years ago when they didn't have uh, the, the, the means um, to um, uh, manufacture agriculture as we do now. So it was there in abundance to begin with. And um, so we know we can get honest products from there, and the roots just work the best. So that's how you come up with the products. Rum from Caribbean, of course. Chocolate from Caribbean uh, works pretty fine, but it's, um, and, um, uh, or from South America. Um, tea from China, for example, um, or, um, uh, yeah, you, you name it, you dig into the history books, and that's where you have your answers. So the, the answers in the history books, um, you can find that information online, and then you can get offline uh, something about this sailboat technology and the decisions that arise from uh, a set of institutions and materials that don't require a computer to figure out really appeals to me. Um, sitting as I do so frequently on the computer coordinating things and organizing things and uh, I'm, I'm noticing that that complexity is often eroding the sovereignty of the people involved and there's something very attractive even just in the philosophical question of whether the future we want to build together is so complex that it needs so much computation, or if that future is more elegant and less complex uh, in terms of its management. So anyway, these are philosophical, unanswerable questions, but I hope that they are penetrating your mind. Uh, mm -hmm. Listen, dear farmers, from your iPod in the field with your fingers down in the weeding patch. Um, and I'm really thankful to you, Rianne for your gracious hostessing on the boat and for your care of that crew and getting them safely across the ocean a few times. For those of you who haven't yet heard, uh, we Greenhorns are so pleased to join this movement, uh, first with Vermont Sail Freight down in the lake, uh, Champlain and the river locks to Hudson to River Hudson, which is Tidal River to New York City. Um, and now down the coast in the salty wild ocean on a 131-foot wooden schooner called the Harvey Gamage, who's transporting 11 tons with us from Maine to Boston with so many dockside events, lectures, songs, history, history stories, uh, activities for children, lots of dinner parties, of course, in order to raise all the money to make it happen. All the information is on our website, and there's even rumors now of the uh, Harvey Gamage going south for the winter. 
uh, and I had a very interesting conversation at the Boston Public Market, which is our brand new in Boston, just opened last week. Full season, year-round, all local uh, market that's owned by the city, in the city building, right next to the Department of, um, what's it called, DMV Motor Vehicles. So you can get your driver's license, and then you can go and meet farmers in a very dignified space. And there I met a chocolate manufacturer who was very interested in chocolate, and we had a very fun uh, trading moment. So anyway, things are bubbling, and uh, I hope they keep bubbling between the land and the sea if we are fluid and cooperative and make a good trade with each other. I think we'll both be happy. Thank you, Liane. (laughs) Thank you, Severin. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and look forward to speaking with you next week again. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 